October is Pastor Appreciation Month, and Pastor J.D. is out of town, but I wanted to share an appreciation I have for him. I've sat under a lot of good preachers in person. I've sat and listened to John MacArthur and Chuck Swindoll and Joe Stoll, Ravi Zacharias, John Piper, and I think even David Jeremiah. But I'll say this about Pastor J.D., a lot of preachers get caught up in their camp or their theological circle, but Pastor J.D. really accurately teaches the Word of God. He, you could tell he studied and he's very careful to check his theology at the door with what the passage is saying. He is, in my opinion, the best at ethically trying to accurately handle the word of truth. So when you come to harvest, you're going to get accurate preaching, accurate handling of God's word. I really appreciate JD for that. If you get an opportunity, send him a text of appreciation and and share with him uh, something you appreciate him for, for this October Pastor Appreciation Month. Have you ever had a hard time waiting in the Lord? Maybe it was a waiting for test results or a spouse or for your spouse to get in the car or for a child to come to Jesus. Maybe it was for a job or something like that. Have you ever got tired of waiting so you took matters into your own hands? Maybe dated that girl that was a bad influence or bought a beater of a car one time we were at a dealership and I decided to buy a car for Micah and um, it was a gray infinity and it was so such a such a low rider and I didn't know it at the time but the tires were cambered and I tried to drive it off the dealership lot after I bought it and it got stuck on the curb um, so we got it off there and then I went to a muffler shop to see about getting the muffler looked at and um, maybe getting the tires or the car raised up and they couldn't well first of all I got stuck going over their curb getting into the place and I knew that scraped the bottom then they couldn't get on their lift because it was so low so after about a half an hour of trying to figure it out I I went back there I told them to use some two by fours and we got it up there and I just got to tell you I was sweating when I left the dealership. And I sensed the Lord was saying to me, Jeff, you didn't even seek me before you bought this car. And I and I didn't. And what a bad deal I got on that car. And it was a mess. So that was an example of uh, me getting tired of waiting. Well, this morning's study is on a couple that lived around 1850 BC. They were a barren couple who moved from the lush land of Ur near Nasariah in Iraq to the arid Dead Sea area of Canaan. God made a covenant with them when they were old and they were waiting for that to be realized. But they grew impatient with God and took matters into their own hands. They rushed it, and as a result, fighting arose that has lasted for centuries.
Are there any Family Feud fans out there? This morning's sermon is titled Family Feud, and, and if you open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15, I will be in Genesis chapter 15 quickly, and then in chapters 16 and 17 more in depth. In fact, last week, J.D. told you that I would help you understand the Arab-Israeli conflict. So here we are. A real-life family feud is going to be laid out before us, all because they chose not to wait on God. And if you're the kind of person that zones out or don't have a long attention span, let me give you the takeaways for this morning. Two takeaways. One, God wants us to walk in relationship with him. Number two, God wants us to trust him. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom as we open up and study your word. I pray that people would grow and I would grow in the depth of who you are. Open our eyes to understand the beautiful things written in your word this morning. And may our lives be changed through our study. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you open your Bibles, open to Genesis 15. And if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the back. I invite you to bring your own Bible, open it, and check me out to make sure I'm accurately handling God's Word. Pastor J.D. preached on Genesis 15, and I want to review God's promises to Abram. Promise number one, God promised Abraham an offspring. And by the way, this promise is referred to as the Abrahamic covenant. It's a promise, but it's also a covenant, an agreement between two parties. And the first covenant promise is an offspring. Genesis 15, verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Promise number two, land. Verse seven, and he said to him, I am the Lord your, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Promise number three, a great nation. This could also be seen in Genesis 12 too. There was a prophecy God is giving Abram here of 400 years of captivity. Guess where they were in captivity for 400 years? In Egypt. 15 verse 12 says this. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. The time in Egypt? Four hundred years, you're right. 
verse 17, and I, I put a picture up of a land map. There are two different thoughts on this. The picture on the left is the whole area between the Euphrates River and the river in Egypt. It is the whole Euphrates River over to Iraq and up the whole Middle East area, the Sinai Peninsula, the Arabian Peninsula. The map on the right is the what other people believe is being promised here. And that is, you can see the Euphrates up in the north along the Dead Sea area, the Golan Heights, and to a dry riverbed in the southwest. Which, which map is the one being promised here? I don't know for sure. I think it could be the smaller map if you look at chapter 15, verse 13 through 14, referring to the particular Israelites who were captive in Egypt. But if you include both boys, as far as this covenant promise, then I would say the bigger map. But I think it's smaller due to, like I said, 15, 13, and 14, and a couple other verses in here as we get into our study this morning. But both, in a sense, are accurate because Abraham had two sons. One of the, most of the Arab people today, which, which is a larger map, but the particular son of promise, and we'll get into that later, is the smaller area. This is one of these that we'll ultimately find out when the Lord comes back. Verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kamenites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So God promises four things. He promises an offspring, a land, a great nation, and in Genesis 12, a great name. He says, I will make your name great. Question, anybody here ever hear of Abraham before? Yes, his name is great. So here we have a little chart of Abram and Sarai. Chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Now when you hear, when you hear that, I thought to myself, uh-oh, when a passage starts like this, you know there's going to be issues. You would hope that the next sentence would say, and they waited patiently on the Lord. But human nature likes to make things happen on their own. If God ain't going to do it in a timely manner, I'll take control. Give me the steering wheel. And I, I think of that song, Jesus Take the Wheel, but let me let me change that. Jesus, give me the wheel. I'll take it from your hands. I can do it on my... Anyhow, enough of that. We love to take the wheel. We love to take control from the Lord. Which we find out 
happens here. They're having a hard time trusting God. So Abram and Sarai have this servant named Hagar. And Sarah has this incredibly bad idea. After waiting, she grew impatient. It's been around four to seven years and, and still no child. It says she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. This sounds oddly familiar to the garden where instead of Abram being the man and having virtue, he gives in just like Adam did. Adam stood silently by. As a man here, he should have led and said, no, we will wait on the Lord. But he gave in. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be done on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. A little bit of gaslighting going on here. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. So what do we see here? Abram and Sarai decide to concoct their own solution to God's promise and use Hagar to bring about the child of promise instead of waiting on God. So Hagar gets pregnant and the ladies get angry at one another, one with contempt, the other jealous. Verse seven, the angel of the Lord, now my opinion here, this is a Jeff Corhornism, is that this is referring to the pre-incarnate Messiah, Jesus. You see in the Old Testament, up until the time of Jesus, you, you see instances of this, the angel of the Lord. And after Jesus' time, you see an angel of the Lord. And in fact, you see Jacob wrestling with God, the angel of the Lord. Yet no one has seen God and can live. I believe the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Christ, but that's my opinion. Let's move on. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. One of our small groups is in Ephesians 6 right now. And, and this reminds me, by the way, of Ephesians 6, verse 5 through 9 on the role of bond servants or slaves and their masters. I love the harmony of scripture. So this brings us to our first major focus to answer the question of the Arab-Israeli conflict. And this brings us to Ishmael's blessing. 
Promise number one, offspring. When you think of Ishmael here, think Arab people. And I'll get into that in a little bit. Verse 10, the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that the multitude cannot be numbered. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, which means God listens, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. Promise number two to Ishmael. He'll be a wild man. Rabbi Shimon Jacobson says, Ishmael was a warrior, a fighter, and a striver in constant conflict against everyone and everyone against him. Verse 12 says, he shall be a wild donkey of a man. Now you gotta know that back then that was respected. He was considered wild or, or free or unrestrained. He was wild at heart. <laughs> His hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. Later, the religion Islam was developed, and a major word in the religion of Islam is the word jihad. The word jihad means to struggle or to contend. It could mean to struggle with others or to struggle within yourself. Some take it as struggling within that, that walk with their very different God. To some, it means to struggle with evil people. So you see him being a wild man, contending, fighting, struggling with people and people struggling against him. Promise number three, continual fighting with his brothers. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen, which literally means upon the face of each other, settle, or on the face of your brother, settle. Literally in that culture, to be in your face is not a warm relational thing, but it is a challenge of a fight. Charles Ryrie says this, the last phrase of this verse may mean that Ishmael's descendants would live to the east of Abraham's other descendants, or it may mean that they would live in defiance, quote, living upon the face of his brothers, of Abraham's other descendants. The hostility between Arabs and Jews is well known. One reason why Jews and Arabs fight is over the rights of the land. Jews believe the land was given to them through Isaac in the Abrahamic covenant. Arabs, which means nomad, by the way, believe the same land was given to Ishmael according to this verse. If you look at the two maps that I showed earlier, both views include the same area of Canaan. So you have this Arab-Israeli conflict. We can see in Genesis 25, 18 that Ishmael had 12 sons and they moved to Havilah, which is in the Sinai Peninsula. And that Ishmael's sons mentioned in 1 Chronicles 1, verse 32 and 33, migrated to the Arabian Peninsula. During that time, by the way, other people lived east of Canaan. In fact, Abraham came from northeast of Canaan by the Euphrates River. So we know it was populated. It wasn't just Ishmaelites. According to Kenneth Fleming, who's a missionary and author, 
What we know for certain seems to support the theory that the Ishmaelites are, at the very least, a major element in the Arab genetic line. Old records clearly link the Northern Arabians with Ishmael's descendants. But it's unlikely that all of those in Arabia are descendants of Ishmael. As the descendants of Keturah and the children of Esau also lived in the Arabian Peninsula. Most people believe that Ishmael is the father of the Arab people, or at least some of them. Muslims hold that Ishmael settled in Mecca and fathered the Arab people. And while his progeny did, he did not. He was buried in Mamre near Hebron, west of the Dead Sea, what scripture teaches. So I want to read to you a little bit from the Quran. But let me first say, we do not accept the teachings of the Quran as scripture, as holy, as from the Lord. I firmly believe that the God of the Muslim and the God of the Bible are completely different. I do not respect the teachings of the Quran. I do not believe they are true. I believe they have error. But nonetheless, I want to read these to you so you understand their perspective on this issue. It says this, The prophet Ishmael was a messenger and a prophet. He was a son of Abraham and Hagar, Abram's second wife. When Abraham was young, he received a dream from God in which he was slaughtering, not Isaac, but Ishmael. Although this was extremely difficult for Abraham to do, he proceeded anyway into the desert to sacrifice Ishmael. When Abraham told his son what God planned, Ishmael offered himself willingly, saying, Father, do what thou art commanded. Thou wilt find me, if Allah please, steadfast. But God made Abraham's knife dull like wax, and Abraham was unable to shed Ishmael's blood. God saw both Abraham's tears and his devotion, and therefore God caused a ram to appear for Abraham to sacrifice instead of Ishmael. When Ishmael grew old, God called on Abraham and his son to go to Mecca and rebuild the mosque or the Kaaba there. The original shrine, built by Adam, was displaced during the flood. Upon its completion, Ishmael settled in the barren valley near thy sacred house of Mecca with his mother. There he married, there he married. Ishmael's progeny became known as the Quarish the direct ancestors of Muhammad. Ishmael was the first prophet to write and preach of the one true God, to perform prayer with due observance. He is the father of all the Arabs. Well, we know from history that that is not true. He is not the father of all the Arabs, although a good section, possibly most of the Arabs today. Many are from his line. And I'll also say this, today many Arabs, some likely from the line of Ishmael, live peacefully in the land. Many do not. Ever since Israel became a nation in 1947, there has been war over the land, both claiming right to it. Most Arabs would like the promised land split in two, but most of those would ultimately like Israel to have no land right. They feel it was stolen from Ishmael, as their holy book says. The point here is that 
the source of the Israeli-Arab conflict. What is it? It has to do with land rights and a spiritual despising of one another. A family feud. I'll touch on this a little bit later. Let's go to verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Ber Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called this name of his son, whom Hagar born, Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Well, Abram, good luck raising Abram. Good luck raising him. Especially at 86 years old. You'll be 99 on his 13th birthday. And God promised he'd be a wild child. Can you imagine being that old and raising a teenager? I digress. Chapter 17, Abraham and the covenant of circumcision. Verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. If you're an Amy Grant fan, that is El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham, by the way, his name means father. Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, which means father of many. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. All the land of Canaan. And that's why I picked that smaller map, by the way. Verse nine. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. Now this is Abraham's part in this, verse 10. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So here's a chart of Abram and Sarah and Hagar and the boys.
Verse 15, and God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, which means princess, by the way, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah, which also means princess. Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? In other words, doubt it. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael may live before you. Now here's the point of contention. It's once again, man's plan versus God's plan. Abraham wanted Ishmael to be the child of promise. And God said, what? No. Now, why do you suppose the Lord, knowing the conflict ahead of time, all that would happen by saying no, would still choose another? Why wouldn't he go along with what Abraham and Sarah wanted and, and Hagar wanted? Well, God isn't Burger King. He doesn't do it your way. Things are to be done his way and in his wisdom. Now Ishmael, like other sinners, was not forced to sin. It was his choice. Rabbi Chaim Mintz said, it wasn't that God gave Abraham a bad son. It was that Ishmael chose to be bad. This choice of being evil goes on today. Now, many Arabs love the Lord and love Jesus today, while many Jews do not. Even today, God is redeeming the sons and daughters of Ishmael and are making them people of peace. Here's a picture of my friend Rami. When I was in Israel in 2020, he was our tour guide. Rami is a Palestinian Arab who used to throw rocks at the IDF. He used to protest and rage against them. Look at his eyes. Rami now, Rami had a major change. He now loves Jesus and he loves Israel. He has become a person of peace. God has changed his heart. He has redeemed Rami and his whole attitude, his whole life, his whole heart has changed. So God is redeeming the sons of Isaac and the sons of Ishmael today. Verse 19, Abraham's descendants. God said, no, but Sarah, your wife shall bear a son and you shall call his name Isaac, which, which means he laughs. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. By the way, Ishmael had 12 sons. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with, God, with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those born in his house and bought with his money. Every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised their flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. 
Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. To summarize, here's a graphic. You can see the line. It, who is the covenant promise to? It was given to Abraham and it was given then not to Ishmael. Although Ishmael did receive a great blessing, Isaac is the son of promise, the son to continue the covenant promise that God made with Abraham. It's not Ishmael, it's Isaac. So what? What do we do with this information? Well, we are seeing all of this still playing out today, all of these promises. Until 9-11 of 2001, the whole fighting in the Middle East was a Middle East thing. We all watched this conflict from a distance, but now Ishmael has gone worldwide. Even worse, around 632, sinful men made a religion which has twisted what the scripture taught. And because of that twisting has caused a lot of conflict. From the Romans to the Byzantines, to the Muslim conquest of the Levant, to the Dome of the Rock being built on the Temple Mount, to the Muslim caliphates, to the Crusaders, to the Mamluk sultans, to the Ottomans, to the British, to the French, to the Six-Day War, to the PLO, to the Antifadas, to the Persians, to the Gaza, Hezbollah, and Hamas wars. This land has seen decade after decade of war. From horses, to catapults, to ballistas, to knights, to tanks, to jets, to artillery, to blowing up of buses, to suicide vests, to knife attacks, to mortars and rockets, to the Iron Dome, to roof knocking, to cyber attacks, blood is spilled daily in this land. Now the Abraham Accords have helped greatly, but not completely. Daily, Israel intercepts Lebanese and Iranian and Syrian and Turkish, Sudanese and Russian plans and cargo designed to ultimately destroy Israel. If you want to get a bird's eye view on what has happened and what is happening and what will happen in Israel, study Ezekiel 37 through 39. There is a lot in there. This jihad between Ishmael and the rest of the world, particularly Isaac, will be around until the millennial kingdom where Jesus the Messiah rules in Jerusalem for a thousand years. And even then, people will come against him until Letting go of every single dream, I lay each one down at your feet. Every moment of my wandering never changes what you see. I've tried to win this war, I confess. My hands are weary. I need your rest. Mighty warrior, king of the fights, no matter what I face, you're by my side. When you don't move the mountains, I'm needing you to move. 
when you don't part the waters I wish I could walk through, when you don't give the answers as I cry out to you, I will trust, I will trust, I will trust in you. Truth is, you know what tomorrow brings. There's not a day ahead you have not seen. So in all things be my life and breath. I want what you want, Lord, and nothing less. I'm going to skip all the refrains, but going on. I will trust in you. You are my strength and comfort. You are my steady hand. You are my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. Your ways are always higher. Your plans are always good. There's not a place where I'll go. You've not already stood. When you don't move the mountains, I'm needing you to move. When you don't part the waters, I wish I could walk through. When you don't give the answers as I cry out to you, I will trust. I will trust. I will trust in you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, from looking from Genesis through 2 Kings and all the kids have gone through that now. We see time and time again, you call us to wait on you. You call us to trust you. You call us to walk in relationship with you. Father, help us to calm down and to trust you for you are good. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.